Welcome in on a beautiful day in Austin, Texas, to the multicast that has its eyes on Texas football. It's a product of the Republic of Football on Dave Campbell's Texas Football Podcast Network. Also recording live from the Austin Radio Network headquarters overlooking downtown Austin, Texas, the capital city, and the 40 acres. This is episode five of the multicast that is a staple for Longhorn fans who understand the winning tradition and the pride of the University of Texas will not be entrusted to the timid or the weak ever. He is Mike Craven, a lifelong Austinite who was raised inside the Texas football locker room, currently works as a senior writer for Dave Campbell's Texas Football, formerly at the Austin American Statesman and Rivals. I'm Aaron Hogan, 33 years here in Austinite, 24 years a fixture on Morning Drive Radio in the ATX, currently the co-host of the B&E Show on the Longhorn flagship radio station, The Horn and HornFM.com. Mike comes to us this morning, or this morning, uh, this afternoon from his <laughs> third hotel room in three days. He is traveling for his RJ, his real job with Dave Campbell's Texas Football, and we're going to make that a part of our conversation tonight uh, in episode number five because uh, you've been to Houston to see the U of H Cougars, the Rice Owls down in Houston, also the Metroplex where you are tonight, Mike, uh, to cover TCU. You're going to hit SMU in North Texas, but we'll talk about the Horn Frogs. You're on your way to Waco later in the week to catch up on the Baylor Bears for spring practice, which is going to you know really help this podcast and multicast and conversation because you're getting behind-the-scenes conversations with the Longhorn opponents for 2023. How are you, my friend? I'm tired. I'm doing okay, though. Uh, the the Ford Fusion picking up a lot of miles. We'll see how many more years, how many more magazine trips that this that that thing has. But uh, yeah, I think the problem is you just forget what room number you might have. You can't remember if you were in 322 the night before, if that was this night. So uh, for, trying to figure that out, trying to eat okay. But other than that, doing pretty good. Uh, what hotel are we in tonight? We're in a Fair, Fairfield or a Marriott Holiday yeah. Inn. What are yeah, we doing? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Marriott guy. Uh, you know, <laughs> get the points. Uh, when we were in Hawaii a couple weeks ago, you know, I got three nights for free at a resort. So, you know, I try to, I try to keep them, try to keep them all, all at the same one. I'm platinum elite and gold elite for the rest of my life. Platinum elite right now. So I'm in a lot of hotels. I'm, this is already number 27, uh, night of the year in a hotel for me. So this is, uh, this is a lot piling up the miles on the Ford Fusion. You know, as we uh, build our partnerships and our underwriters here on the uh, Eyes on Texas podcast, we have to get you a, a car deal so, you know, we can we can make this happen for you because uh, you're piling up the miles on the Ford Fusion. Yeah. We'll get that done. But it really will, uh, for you, audio, for our listeners and uh, viewers and people that uh, tune in, and please find us. It's uh, every week. And, of course, when we get to football season, we'll record it twice a week. We'll do a Monday night podcast and then a Thursday night uh, catch-up to get you ready for the games and kind of recap the, the weekend, look forward to the next weekend. Uh, make sure you're, you're sending it out to uh, everywhere where you can find us. It's over my, my shoulder here. Uh, everywhere you can find us. YouTube, of course, Dave Campbell's Texas Football YouTube page, The Horn and Austin's YouTube page. We're also on Instagram and Twitter and everywhere where you find it. You can listen to us with the Spotify. If you're just a listener driving in your car, getting a workout, you can do it on iTunes as well. Uh, but I think the real uh, multicast version is on YouTube because you can see all our highlights and sound bites, and it really uh, takes it to a different level with the visuals that come here from the Austin Radio Network headquarters. But uh, we'll get that all done. Uh, if you're new to the, to the broadcast, hopefully you can go back and listen to the previous four episodes here in episode five. Uh, we are divided into four quarters. We do it like a football game. We've got four quarters of conversation. We have a halftime uh, where we uh, will really uh, augment that as we go, but a halftime portion of our show. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll tonight, uh, I can tell you this, coming up to preview the quarters. In quarter one, we're going to have an honest discussion of Texas head football coach Steve Sarkeesian headed into his third spring game here in Austin. Mike, I found a, a story from On3 Sports that ranked all the Big 12 coaches, 1-14, to 14, and I was surprised to see Coach Sark down at number four, or number 10. 
uh, in the Big 12 rankings. We'll run through those. Want your opinion on that and uh, where Sark is heading into uh, to really offseason and then season three and spring game number three for him coming up on Saturday. Quarter two, we'll discuss the uh, six weeks of spring, what's been accomplished, where they are, highlights. Of course, there were the big keys going into the spring, improving the passing game, improving the pass rush. We'll hear from Sark from today, an availability he had today on a Tuesday from all of those things. Also in quarter three after our halftime uh, break, uh, our traveling co-host, Mike Craven, will provide some insights on what he's gleaned from his trips into Dallas and Houston as they pertain to Longhorn opponents in 2023. Rice and Houston, TCU and Baylor coming up. And in quarter four, we're going to get a recruiting update and preview Saturday's orange-white scrimmage, which is uh, 1 o'clock Saturday. So we'll get a full preview uh, of that. Uh, ready to go, Mike? Ready to kick this thing off for quarter number one? Always. All right, well, let's do it. Waste no time here. It's going to be a fast-paced conversation. Uh, let's start with this because on three sports, and this is you know one person's opinion, uh, a, a writer for on three sports and the national website, uh, one of many, and they have a, they have a Longhorn brand, of course, with Inside Texas. Uh, Jesse Simmons or Simonton, uh, their writer ranked the top Big Twelve coaches one to fourteen because, of course. Big 12 adding new teams this year, four of them. Uh, so there are 14 teams. He has Chris Kleiman of Kansas State as the number one coach in the conference. He's got Sonny Dykes off the national championship trip. Uh, last year is number two. Lance Leipold of Kansas, three. Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State, four. Gus Malzahn of uh, Central Florida at five. Uh, Kalani Sataki, the coach at BYU, another one of the new members of the conference. He's at number six. Um, at number seven, according to this story at On3 Sports, as my computer gives me a little bit of an issue here. Let's get this figured out. Uh, by the way, before we get to number seven and eight, do you have any disagreement to this point of where we are, Mike? And, uh, you know, the fact that Sark is down at 10 would be kind of taken aback for many people. But when you get to seven and Matt Campbell, you get to eight and Dave Aranda, uh, who won a Big 12 championship in a Sugar Bowl just, you know, one season ago. Joey McGuire at Texas Tech is nine. And then there's Steve Sarkeesian at 10 ahead of Brett Venables of Oklahoma. Uh, rounding it out is Dana Holgerson, Scott Satterfield, and Neil Brown at West Virginia. Uh, where are you on that ranking of the best coaches, 1-14 to 14 in the Big 12? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting offseason topic. Uh, I think the one that sticks out most to me would be Joey McGuire. And I'm a big Joey McGuire fan, obviously. I've covered him for a long time when he was at Cedar Hill. He was on the cover of our magazine last year. So now I know I can be a little biased there, but he's only done it one year. Uh, he's only done it with somebody else's roster, right? And he only went, he only won, you know, eight games, one of those a, a bowl games. So went seven and five in his first year. And so uh, I think we need to see a little bit more from him uh, before we put him up above Sark. But uh, if we're just talking about where Sark ranks, once you go, I think when you see 10, it's, it's like, oh, okay, that's way too low. But once you go through the list, you know, who are you going to move him above up? You know, I, I think even a guy like Mike Gundy, whose best days are behind him, I would pick Sark if I was picking a head coach today, but if we're matching up resumes, you know, Gundy has to be ranked above, you know, Sark is 13 and 12 at Texas, uh, 59 and 47 overall. He's never won 10 games in a year and 10 seasons, only won nine games one time, uh, only over eight games, three times, right? Eight or more, uh, three times in 10 years. So uh, been around a 500 coach for most of his career. And, and until he wins some conference championship games, uh, at a place like Texas, I'd imagine he stays with that reputation of, uh, you know, somebody who can acquire talent, but maybe as a head coach hasn't done it yet to to deserve any higher ranking than that. Yeah, and I think here in Austin, and uh, for you who cover the the state but live in Austin, um, you know, I think there's a perception that, and we'll find out this year, and maybe a little bit on Saturday, 
if it's the perception is real, that the program is heading in a really, really positive direction. There's a lot of momentum with the program. Uh, but you're right. Resume's a resume. You know, he, he oversaw the worst season in, you know, 60 years for the program. And, uh, you know, his first year at five and seven. Uh, last year was eight and five with a bowl loss and, you know, gave away some games in the fourth quarter that you felt like were right there for you. Did he use Bijan enough? You know, Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson are both going to be drafted on the first and second day of the draft coming up in a couple of weeks. Did he did he utilize his talent enough? Obviously, he had Quinn Ewers as a pretty much a rookie quarterback, freshman quarterback, uh, wet behind the ears. But uh, were there some games as a coach? You go to Hudson Card, who's now off to Purdue to try to win you a ball game because this is the point now for Steve Sarkeesian for me, Mike, where it's about wins and losses now. Uh, with the, the ability to build, a, build a, a, a coaching staff with continuity, ability to add key pieces, ability to acquire talent through the portal and through recruiting. He's shown all that. That is all in spades right now for him. It's about, as I'll borrow a quote that he uses quite a lot, it's time for him to put it in the dirt and they got to win some football games in 2023, Mike. Yeah, because think about Sonny Dykes and, and what his perception is now. I mean, he's ranked number two on this list, but everything I just said about uh, Steve Sarkeesian was true about Sonny Dykes until 2022. He had always been kind of a 500 coach, had only won one conference championship game. That was at La Tech, uh, you know, 10 years previous to that, had been fired at Cal, uh, was really good at SMU, but what does that mean, right? And so uh, one good year jumps him all the way up to number two. I think Sark is just one great year away from being elevated into that you know, great coach in the country conversation, because as you mentioned, he's doing everything else right. He's acquiring talent. He's putting together a staff. He's building momentum. Um, the last thing to do is go win a conference championship, compete for a national title. If he can prove that he can do that, uh, I think Texas has the right guy. And then another thing with these rankings is, are they talking about resumes? Or are they talking if you're picking a head coach right now? I, I think depending on how you look at these things, uh, it, it would change your rankings. But if we're just going resumes, it's hard to argue eight, nine, 10, not being the right spot for him. Yeah, I think that's fair for on resumes, but uh, you know, his ability to use the the brand of the University of Texas acquire uh, through the transfer portal. Quinn Ewers, a, a five-star, highly rated quarterback, Arch Manning. I mean, this is what's going to win. Talent wins. Yeah. He's acquiring talent. Now it's time to put it all together. As for Sark, let's hear from him today. We're going to hear from him throughout the course of Episode 5 here of the Eyes on Texas podcast from an availability he had with the uh, local media here uh, today after their second-to-last spring practice ahead of the spring game on Saturday. Uh, but he also sat down with Ryan Clark, and uh, Fred Taylor, they do a podcast called The Pivot Podcast, which is a pretty popular national podcast. And Sark sat down with them. And I thought this was interesting because they went back into his you know, demise at USC. Because when we know Steve Sarkeesian's you know, roller coaster ride as a coach, he was a hotshot assistant at USC. He was off to Washington, back to USC, where he was going to take that program back to the top, as he you know, had with Pete Carroll there uh, when they won two national championships and nearly a third. And he, he got derailed by his own personal demons and his alcohol problem. Uh, we know that story. I thought this was interesting because this was just an interview done this week with the Pivot Podcast of Sark talking about those, those times uh, in, re- in, re- in reflection. And that Nick Saban, uh, the coach at Alabama, really was the person who resurrected his coaching career and allowed him to be on this path where we all kind of think he's taking it back to a really good place. But he's got to get there. Here's Sark with the Pivot Podcast talking about uh, Steve, Nick Saban and the way he gave him a hand up when he needed it most. In 2015, as I came out of that and had gotten fired at USC, gone to recovery, started working on me personally. And then coming out of that, not being able to get a job, 
somewhere in there, somebody's got an extended olive branch to you. Mm -hmm. And in 2016, I was ready to go do TV. I, I couldn't get it. I couldn't get an interview for a job. And uh, Nick Saban saved my career. Wow. And he offered me an analyst job. And I was willing to do it for free. But he said, I got to pay you $30,000 so that you can get benefits. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. I'm forever indebted to him because at that time, you know, somebody in life has got to give all of us a second chance, right? And um, it totally changed my perspective. It changed my perspective on how I coach, how I deal with our players, um, because everybody's going through stuff, right? Everybody's got stuff. Whatever that, that your stuff is, you, you just try to get through it. And if I can be that guy that can extend that olive branch to our players as we go through this journey, I always lean back to that time because here's the greatest coach of all time in our era, right? And um, for whatever reason, he saw something in me to give me a chance, to give me a shot. All right, so there's uh, Steve Sarkeesian. I thought really interesting comments. We've heard them before uh, when he took the job, but obviously this is a national podcast and they're kind of revisiting the conversation. But it leads me to this conversation because if we have Sark ranked at, at 10 out of 14 teams in the conference, most Longhorn fans are going to think, man, we don't have a good enough coach. But I think that tells a tale that he's back climbing out of uh, his personal issues in the middle you know, 2010s and uh, he resurrected his career at, uh, at Alabama and then again at, at, with the Atlanta Falcons and now here two years in at Texas and it's time to take that step forward. Also pulled this from the, uh, the Pivot podcast uh, talking about this team uh, and why he really is excited about the 2023 Longhorns, where they are and where they're going. I was just telling my brother-in-law the other day, I said, this looks like my team. Mm. And it's year three. I said, yeah. it feels and looks like my team. The, the way the players talk, the way they act, what they look like, the way they move, the way they run, how we practice, the speed, the tempo, all of those things, man, I'm like, okay, now we're about ready to go. This is this is what it's supposed to look like. And, 90%. and we need to because we're going to the conference, you guys. All right, there's Sark. Uh, really likes this team. That gets Longhorn fans pumped up. It's starting to look like a team. Size, you talked about that when you were out of practice, uh, Mike, uh, here in Austin. They look the part. They're bigger. They're more physical. The receivers, you know, improve. The quarterback room is, is re really good. The depth that we talked about on all of our episodes here on the Eyes on Texas podcast. Uh, Sark saying that I think has to get Longhorn fans fired up for what they're going to see Saturday and what 2023 can be. He feels like a man more comfortable in his skin, and that's probably because he looks around that locker room and likes what he sees more than he ever has, you know, being on the 40 acres. You know, you got to remember, this is a guy who walked onto campus and couldn't have a spring game because there wasn't enough scholarship offensive linemen. You know, now he's got five starters coming back on the offensive line, seven, eight guys who probably could be starters uh, up front for there. So it feels good. It, it seems like a good sign that Sark is comfortable enough to talk about sobriety and the recovery, you know, cards on the table. I went through a similar thing, uh, 2014, you know, I spent 120 days either in jail or rehab straight, right. Trying to get clean and, uh, have been clean for eight years. And, and one of the things uh, that helps you along in that recovery is talking about it, talking to people about it, uh, telling your story, relating that story. And I'd imagine as a head coach, uh, of a young, a lot of young guys who are going to make boneheaded mistakes because most of us did when we were 18 to 22. Having a past that had some bumps in the roads and having a past that includes somebody like Nick Saban reaching out to you to give you an olive branch has to make you more understanding and better at leading a bunch of young men. And so uh, I'd imagine if you ask Sark, he's a better head coach today than he was back then because he went through all of that. Whether it shows up in wins or losses in 2023 and beyond, we'll have to figure that out. Uh, but he does seem like a guy who's as comfortable as he's been in his own skin, and that's a positive thing for a program.
Yeah, I think that's well said. And yeah, you battled your your own uh, issues with addiction, and uh, you've talked about it openly. And I agree with you 100%. I mean, these young guys in this program, these young people who he's trying to help grow into young men, are going to have challenges, and he can speak to it specifically because he was on the fast track to start him as a coach, and you know, got derailed by his own decisions and his own addiction, and uh, now he's in a much better place. And that's that's a great. Uh, example as a leader that uh, you know you fail sometimes Uh, things uh, you have to recover from those things and you need a hand up and uh, I think all those things are are well said Uh, and it does feel like a good chemistry in this locker room uh, for sure Uh, real quick to end up uh, sorry go ahead go ahead Mike just one last one last thing on that list like I think you know as we mentioned you know Sark being eight nine ten on that list seems fair but if we were make to uh, make a list of who are the best coaches for the University of Texas in the Big 12 this is a different job, and I think Sark is more equipped for the challenges in Austin and the University of Texas than some of those other guys on the list. And so, you know, I do think that context matters as well as like just because you're the 10th best coach on the list, quote unquote, doesn't mean you're the 10th best co- coach for the situation that you're in. Just like Kansas is a different job than Texas is a different job than Baylor. It does feel like Sark's kind of star power if you will, kind of lends itself. He feels like a University of Texas coach in a way that like Lance Leopold wouldn't, even though Lance Leopold's resume would rank him higher on a list. Yeah, agreed, because it's a big spot. It's a, it's a, it's a fishbowl job. He's got some, some star power to him, uh, and he's got a, a name. Uh, it, I think you're right about that. And it's funny because last year, as TCU was making their run and beat Texas in that, that huge game on a Saturday, you know, a lot of Longhorn fans, Kirk Bowles, I think at the Statesman, wrote the story that, you know, Turns out maybe a CDC wanted to talk to Sonny Dykes. Uh, the boosters and some other powerful people at Texas wanted Sark, uh, which, of course, becomes a story. But in the end, as I said on the radio that morning and throughout that that week, you know, what would Texas fans have said if Texas hired Sonny Dykes? That would have gone over like a wet blanket. That would have that's not been popular. That's why they didn't do it. Right. That would have not <laughs> been popular. Might have been the right hire. I love Sonny. I uh, loved his dad. I uh, love what he's about. Uh, and, but, again, knowing this fan base for 25 years covering the program and you've been around it your whole life, Mike, that would not have been a popular hire. That would have been yeah. panned. And that's just how the job is here. And you've got to bring in some star power. Uh, and I think Sark brings that. Obviously, this is the year to show that. All right, that's going to wrap up our first quarter, a little Sark conversation. Where does he rank in your mind? We'll certainly put that out there on our Eyes on Texas Twitter page and Instagram here after episode uh, five drops and get your thoughts on it. What does he have to do to climb in those rankings? And I think uh, Mike Craven said it the best. You know, great season this year, win the Big 12, uh, you know, put double-digit wins on the board, he'll rise up on that list. It seems like only a matter of time, but you haven't done it until you've done it. That's really what this is about. Uh, we'll hear Sark more coming up in our quarter two, talking about the uh, the spring practice itself. I wanted to really dive into Sark in year three because that's, you know, it's it's a, it, again, it's a micro- microscope job. It's a fishbowl job. Uh, a lot of pressure on Coach Sark and this staff and these players to deliver a really good season because five and seven, eight and five, not good enough through the first two years. But the signs are there that things are about to tip in a very, very good direction. And that's our first quarter here on the Eyes on Texas podcast. Uh, we know that it is a product of the Republic of Football on Dave Campbell's Texas Football Podcast Network. Also on the Horn FM right here in Austin, Texas, the flagship station for the Longhorns. Uh, we are growing like crazy. We appreciate everybody sharing our podcast, whether it's on iTunes or Apple, uh, Apple Tunes or what is it? No, Spotify, iTunes on Apple. And of course, 
YouTube is where we're going to grow with the visual medium. That's going to send us into Apple our. Tunes our was great. Like Apple Tunes was awesome. Well, I do have Apple <laughs> Tunes. I, I download a lot of music from iTunes and Apple Tunes, so I'm an Apple guy uh, without a doubt. But let's jump into our second quarter. Nolan Hogan, our, our digital producer, you'll roll with me on these cuts because we're going to move some things around here. But uh, the second quarter uh, here of the Eyes on Texas podcast is looking and assessing the six weeks of spring, which wraps up this week. Spring game is Saturday. We'll have a full preview coming up in, in our fourth quarter. Uh, but obviously going into it, uh, Steve Sarkeesian said the biggest goals entering the offseason were passing game improvements, uh, which seems somewhat odd to some people that you're losing B. John Robinson, you're losing Roshan Johnson, uh, you're bringing pretty much everybody else back on your offense. What do you mean What do you mean passing game? Well, Sark understands for this offense to be as good as it can be, uh, they've got to be able to be balanced and throw the ball and run the ball. And this year, the offensive you know, ability to throw the football, stretch the field with great receivers and a tight end should open up a running game that doesn't include Bijan Robinson. Uh, no, let's go back to quarter one with the uh, the Sark on the the quarterbacks and their developments. This was at a, at a media availability mic today here in Austin where Sark was asked about Quinn Ewers, Arch Manning, Malik Murphy, the quarterback room, and uh, what he's really liked about the winter workouts into the spring and what we may see at the spring game on on Saturday. Yeah, they're all doing well. They're all doing a nice job. Um, they're all working at their craft. Everybody's at a different stage of their progress, but um, you know, we coach them hard. You know, we have high expectations for that room. Um, and, and in the end, you know, they, they've had days that have been better than others, but that's part of the process. And so I feel very comfortable with, with the kind of stage that they're in and the growth that they're in, and, and I feel very good about the room that we have, um, you know, I, you know, some people may think, well, you know, we've got one guy. Well, I feel like we, we've got three really quality players. Um, Quinn naturally is kind of a step ahead of everybody you know, with his experience that he has. I think we're now getting a full dose of Malik. Feel good about him. And I think Arch, you know, 13 practices into college football is performing is performing well. So all that, I, I feel very comfortable with where we're at and feel good about it. They, like the other guys on the team, are not finished products. They have work to do, and this is going to be a big summer for them and then ultimately a big fall camp to get themselves ready for the season. All right. Uh, there's Steve Sarkeesian. Actually, no, let's do passing game improvements here too. I want, I want your thoughts on that, Mike, but let's first play because he was asked again, uh, not just specifically about the quarterbacks, but the passing game improving. And here's a thought from Sark talking about the quarterbacks, but also the depth of receiver. Uh, and the new wide receivers coach, Chris Jackson, who's come in from the Jacksonville Jaguars and the impact he's had in uh, only a, you know four short months. I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I think that we've really tried to drill down um, as a staff on, on what we're doing and why we're doing it and make sure we're teaching it well. Um, I think that the obviously you know Quinn's development has helped that. I think the influx of some some talented players so that we got a little more depth at the receiver position has been helpful there. Um, I think fundamentally, Coach Jackson's done a great job with, with our receivers, and, and we're catching the ball really well right now. Then you, know, you don't feel the drops. Um, and I think ultimately, there's some, there's some confidence. You know, as, as, you, as, you, as you start to make more plays, you build that confidence and you build that trust. And as you, as you build the trust, right, trust is an action, then you start getting that faith and that belief that it's going to, that it's going to work. And I felt like at times last year, there was a little bit of hesitation in just our in our ability to to trust what was happening, and so uh, I think that all those things have added up to um, we're throwing the ball pretty well right now, um, and and guys are making plays when their numbers are called. 
All right, so there's quarterbacks improvements, Mike, and then the passing game improvements as a whole with the additions of A.D. Mitchell from Georgia, the return of Isaiah Nayer, a healthy Xavier Worthy, some young guys that have come in and just experience from some of the guys that have been in the program, and then Chris Jackson uh, getting back to some of the fundamentals that that uh, maybe led to some of the drops and route running issues. Uh, we talked on the, uh, the B&E show on the horn this week, uh, or actually late last week, to Quan Cosby a lifetime Longhorn who's a, a wide receiver by trade. Uh, and he was out at a practice last week and said, man, he really noticed the precise route running and the attention to detail, which he thought was lacking even under Brendan, Brendan Marion last year and in previous years where, you know, the offense is such a precise offense, Mike, throw into a spot. If it's a 24-yard out, it's a 24-yard out. If it's a six-yard out, it's got to be six. Uh, there, there has to be precision because the quarterback's going to throw it to where he needs you to be. Yeah, having a guy who just comes from the NFL is going to refine you on those those finer details, and so that's a good thing for this offense. There seems to be no excuses, right? Like, the more we talk about this team, you know, the wide receivers look good, the quarterbacks look good. Sark said that things are improving. Uh, to me, it's not about talent and who's there and who's not there because we, we know that they're, they're as good as anybody at, at the skill positions. You mentioned all the wide receivers they have, JT Sanders, Sanders at tight end, two five-star quarterbacks, uh, and then also Malik Murphy in there. For me, it's the play calling and the, the cohesion between Sark and the quarterbacks. And we're just not going to know that until the fall. There was a few games last year I think we all watched and went like, it's not a video game. You know, like if your quarterback can't make that throw, you can't call that throw. Even if it, if he's wide open, uh, it's just not a, not a working play. Uh, for me, the, the biggest adjustment has to be in the play calling and like the synchronicity between him and Quinn because that seemed off last year. Maybe more experience and a whole spring of him being the guy helps that. And not just uh, the best police album ever, Synchronicity, but that's what they missed last year, right? They weren't in sync uh, in their offense a lot of times and were bailed out by Bijan and Roshan in a lot of cases, especially late in the year when they got to eight victories and uh, the passing game uh, really slowed down. And who would have thought that you know, after what you saw in the first quarter and a half of the Alabama game, uh, what you saw in the, the, the Oklahoma game where they just shredded uh, the Sooners. But uh, obviously, Quinn Ewers showed to be a young quarterback. The more tape he put out there, the more teams were able to to take away what he likes to do. And he didn't react to that very well. And maybe Sark didn't react to that very well in real time and was stubborn with sticking with Quinn when there maybe could have been a Hudson Card opportunity. But obviously, that's water under the bridge now. A couple other from Steve Sarkeesian here in our second quarter. Of the Eyes on Texas pod, podcast and multicast. A uh, couple of thoughts from Sark today. He was asked about JT Sanders. We're talking about improved passing game, which also would be improved running game with JT Sanders. Now in his third year, five-star stud out of Denton Ryan in high school, uh, but had to red shirt and learn to play tight end. Never, no one really knew his position coming in. Uh, but here's Sark on his further involvement as just a weapon that's going to be a real problem for Big 12 defenses this year. Here's uh, Sark on JT Sanders, where he is and where he can go. And I think, I think, you know, JT's got a really high football IQ. So the more we can move him around uh, and to give him different route opportunities, um, that part's been helpful. I think run game-wise, there's still an evolution to his game where I think he can take it to another level uh, from a blocking perspective. Um, and then when he catches the ball, what he does with the ball in his hands. You know, he's a big physical guy. He's very athletic. We're trying to get him to use his body more once the ball is in his hands. And, and I think we're seeing that. He's much more physical right now with the ball in his hands than he's ever been in the first couple of years. All right. So uh, we talk about a lot on this multicast, the, the plethora of talent. But, man, you know, 
JT Sanders, he stands out, right? When you when you had the pro day and you had NFL scouts and GMs out of the practice, and uh, he just everyone points him out. Quan Cosby told us that last week that he was talking to some NFL people that he knows, and uh, who's that? Well, that's a that's a first round looking dude. That's Kelvin Banks. Oh, that's JT Sanders, first round looking dude. We know that coming up in the NFL draft in two weeks, there could be three or four tight ends drafted in that first round. JT Sanders would be draft eligible after this year. You saw him in high school, Mike. He needs to be not just a, a part of this Texas offense, but a focal point that just makes defenses figure out and guess how they're going to stop this team. Tight ends are the new sexy position in, in football. I mean, just Travis Kelsey in the NFL has kind of proven what you can do to do to that. Defenses got smaller and smaller over the last 15 and 20 years with the air raid and, and the four wides and the no tight ends and the wide splits. That's where the four, two, five and that three, three, five flyover defense that everybody's using in the big 12 came from. Well, the way to, to, to counteract that, right, and, and football is just a thing that just kind of goes in cyclical cycles, mm-hmm. uh, is to get bigger again. And that tight end has is, is become a weapon. He's too fast for linebackers. He's too big for secondary guys. Uh, we all saw the one-handed catches when he was in high school. He's got huge hands. He's become a really good inline blocker. And so what that does for Sark is it allows him to call multiple plays out of, out of the same personnel. You cannot predict what Texas is going to do when JT Sanders is on, on the field. And I could go back through the last 15 years and we could look at each offense and I could basically tell you what they were going to run based on what personnel package they had that out on the field. Uh, that's not true anymore. And JT Sanders allows them to do that. He gives them uh, that flexibility. He's a Swiss Army guy. Uh, and that is where Texas gets super dangerous is when a dude like that is your like third or fourth option on some plays like that. You're you're you got some champagne problems when when you can have him out there. I think you said that well with the, the, the smallish size of defenses now. They're trying to match speed with spread offenses and you know spread to power, the power running game for Sark. And, and all over the Big 12 has really come back because of that. And we've seen Georgia win back-to-back national championships with you know two and three tight ends on the field going to those heavy packages. Uh, I think we could see Texas uh, featuring some of that this year and featuring JT Sanders, uh, big-time big time weapon. Uh, so that's the, the – you know, going into, into spring, the passing game was the biggest area of improvement. We'll all get to see it on Saturday at the spring game. Uh, the other side of the ball, the big question was pass rush and developing more pass rush. Texas, again, was second in the nation last year in pressure rate for quarterbacks, but, you know, way down there in sacks, only 27. Um, you know, whereas Clemson, who led the nation in pressure rate, had nearly 50 sacks last year. Texas needs to be better getting the quarterback on the ground. Here's Sark today talking about a guy we've heard him talk about a lot on the Eyes on Texas podcast. Almost, mentions him almost every availability. Uh, a guy that has shown up. And you'll hear Sark say this, dis, almost unblockable in this spring, and that's the defensive tackle, Byron Murphy. I mean, at times I feel like he's unblockable as Byron Murphy, and that's internal pressure. I mean, but this guy is so active. He's so strong. He's so quick, and he's very smart. Uh, he has presented some real issues. Um, I think Anthony Hill, anytime that he can present opportunities to rush the passer, uh, he's an issue that way. Um, those two guys are the first two that stand out to me that I feel like whenever their number and their opportunity presents itself, they, they find their way back. All right, Byron Murphy unblockable. Mike Craven, from your days with uh, the Fab 55 and the Statesman and recruiting coverage, give me your thumbnail out of DeSoto, Texas, Byron Murphy, and then Anthony Hill. We've talked about him a lot here on the EOT pod and multicast. Uh, five-star linebacker from Denton, the same high school as JT Sanders. Uh, these two guys just bring athleticism and freakishness to the field, and uh, that's what Texas really needs to do to take this defense to another level. 
I would need to look this up, but I believe I was the highest on Byron Murphy out of all those lists. And that's, I spent a lot of time at DeSoto that year. They also had uh, Shamar Turner that, that playing at A&M on that same defensive line. So uh, a really talented guy. If Byron Murphy was 6'2", 6'3", he would have been a five-star guy just like Shamar. Uh, but he was a little bit short. He's a little bit undersized. Uh, but the best defensive tackle of all time is Aaron Donald, and he's 5'11", six foot tall. And I, I think Byron Murphy obviously isn't that, uh, but he's in that same mold where – uh, he's a, a playmate defensive tackle. He's not Keandre, Keandre Coburn. Uh, he's not going to like just occupy a, a center and a guard and, and let everybody else go make plays. He's capable of shedding those blocks and, and going to make plays. And so uh, while Texas did lose a lot interior-wise, I think that they're going to be more playmaking defensive tackles up, up there uh, that are going to have bigger stats. And, and if you can create pressure from the inside, now all of a sudden – you are really affecting that quarterback. He has to get the ball out or he has to roll out and maybe he rolls into a Baron Sorrell or an Anthony Hill who uh, that's intriguing to hear, by the way, that Anthony Hill is kind of becoming a pass rush specialist early on. Uh, maybe he's not a three down back right away as a linebacker, as a true freshman, uh, but if he can get on the field in spots and then build it into being an everyday linebacker, that's probably the best route to success for him. It's interesting because we talked about who's going to set the edge, right? Who's going to be that that edge rusher? Colton Vosick, Ethan Burke, you know, Justice Finkley, uh, Baron Sorrells will be on one side. We know that. But you're right. If you push the pocket and don't give a quarterback a place to step up into, uh, that helps you know him flush. And then there's the guys on the edge. Uh, it just helps the overall pass rush. And if you're telling me Byron, Byron Murphy is next to an Alfred Collins, who is also bringing the motor this time around, that's going to be trouble. That's going to be trouble for Big 12 offensive lines, but both of those guys are extremely, extremely talented. Last thing in our second quarter, and then we'll get to halftime here on the Eyes on Texas podcast. Uh, Sark, uh, on the, he was asked this today, biggest concerns or weaknesses? Maybe a spot that you weren't real happy with here over the six weeks of camp. Uh, Sark didn't seem to have many when he was asked that question today. I, I feel very good about if, if we, you know, we roll the ball out. Um, I'm going to feel really good about our guys that take the field and that we can perform and, and play championship-level football. We're not there yet, uh, like I just got done talking to the team. We've got work to do. We're, we are not a finished product. Um, but I feel good about the, the progress that we've made. Um, but as I, as I touched on the team, everybody has got to be intentional every time we take the field to take a step forward, to continue to grow, continue to get better. Because in football, there's no flat roads. You're either getting better or sooner or later, you will start to gradually get worse. And that's when you retire from the game, right? We see it all the time. And retirement, you know, the game retires you. You don't retire from the game. And so we're trying to impress upon our guys. Every time we go, we only got 15 spring practices, one of which is a game. How do we maximize each and every one of those opportunities to take a step forward and, and to improve our game, whether that's mentally, whether that's physically, whether that's schematically, what does that look like? Because after Saturday, we're not going to be back on the grass with helmets on until August, mm -hmm. right? So we, we've got to squeeze every ounce of this orange here uh, on Thursday for Thursday's practice to, to get to maximize that and then go out and, and play and perform and, and have fun playing football uh, with confidence on Saturday. Um, to get ourselves ready for our summer workouts and summer conditioning to ultimately get ourselves ready for, for fall camp. All right, Steve Sarkeesian, Mike, not a lot of uh, concerns other than what we've talked about. The talent's here. The players are here. We didn't suffer, at least at this point, a significant injury in the spring that's going to cost anybody. Um, you know, it's time to put it in the dirt. It's time to go play and obviously continue to improve over the course of uh, the, the, the summer, come back in August and you know, set the bar very, very high because there really are no excuses for this not to be a championship run in 2023. 
I'm typically a pretty cynical person. You know, I, I typically lean towards like, I, I feel like the last 10 to 15 years, I've been the guy that's like, I don't know if Texas is back. I don't think that they're going to be as good. You know, they're the, they're UT that are going to lose the game or two that they shouldn't um, just with his confidence. Uh, and maybe this is, maybe this is just a coaching point where he's trying to exude the confidence. He wants his team to feel that maybe at this time, his job in the media is no longer uh, to push some buttons and to motivate guys and to, and to act to kind of downplay the successes in order to light a fire. Maybe he feels like it's shifted to, well, now I just need to give confidence and let these guys know that they are good enough to go to Alabama and win that game. They are good enough to go to win the Big 12. We are ready as a roster to go to compete in that. So maybe this is bravado that Sark is pushing on to his players and he has a little bit more hesitancy behind closed doors. Uh, but out loud throughout this whole spring, He's felt like a guy who's ready to to anoint this team, ready to go win the Big 12, to be a favorite and to be okay with those expectations. Uh, it's been a while. You know, Texas always has those expectations, but it's felt like it's been a while since they've been okay with them, that they've been comfortable <laughs> with them. And it feels like Sark is getting comfortable, and he's sending a message to his locker room that y'all better get comfortable too because there's not any excuses. Yeah, I think that's well, and it goes back to the first quarter soundbite we heard on the Pivot podcast saying this sounds like my team now. It feels like my team. When I look on the field, it looks like a team that I'm building. Uh, they talk like a team I want to hear, uh, which so maybe they have some of that bravado too uh, coming coming from the field, and he's seeing that, and that leads to the comment you just heard. All right, that's going to wrap up our, our second quarter and our four quarters of the Eyes on Texas multicast. Coming up in our third quarter, we're going to talk about Mike, why he's in another hotel three and three nights. He's traveling. One of the things that I think makes our podcast and multicast unique and in depth, and then above others, is Mike traveling around, not just covering the Texas program like we do, uh, but also down in Houston last week talking to Rice and their uh, head coach, JT Daniels, now playing quarterback there. Uh, U of H and Dana Holgerson entering the Big 12. TCU up in the Metroplex. Baylor this week. So we'll talk about what you've learned and what you've seen. These are all Longhorn opponents in 2023. So excited to get some of your observations from your travels and the stories you're writing for Dave Campbell's Texas football, both uh, hard copy and on the digital side uh, at texasfootball.com. Uh, halftime, though, is here. And coming up in the football season, we're real excited. We're going to have halftime partners, and we're going to have interviews with Lifetime Longhorns. Where are they now? Segments in our halftime segment. Also some uh, Longhorns shining in the NFL moments. Uh, it'll really have a full halftime feel to it. But uh, halftime right now brought to you by our first multicast underwriting partner, and that's my good friend Carlos. Carry on. He is the Texas mortgage guy. That's what we know him as. Uh, Carlos is a tremendous, tremendous guy, born and raised here in Austin, Texas. He, like I did, went to St. Edwards. Uh, he's been in the mortgage industry for going on a decade now, a diehard Longhorn fan. But, you know, for you, it's about a mortgage. You don't care what, what fandom they are. You need a, a refi or a new home. Uh, Carlos is there to provide you with uh, not just a quote. He's going to help you solve problems, strategize the most important financial decisions of your life, and that would be a mortgage. He can currently close loans in 15 days. It's a very uncertain landscape. Carlos has it locked in. Great communicator, fast response times. Uh, no reason you won't be able to get to Carlos and uh, build that relationship really, really quickly. Quickly. And uh, speaking of building that relationship, all you have to do is find him, uh, just shoot him an email at carlos at thetexasmortgageguy.com. That's thetexasmortgageguy.com. That's the website, but just shoot him an email, carlos at thetexasmortgageguy.com. Uh, you can also find him on Instagram. His handle is the underscore Texas underscore mortgage underscore guy. Or on Facebook, his business page handle is Texas Mortgage Guy. Uh, so pretty simple to do. He is Carlos Carrion. He's a great friend. He's a partner of our multicast. He's an underwriting partner. He is the Texas Mortgage Guy. And one more time, Carlos at thetexasmortgageguy.com.
All right, back with you. Third quarter, Eyes on Texas, multicast episode five, talking all things Texas football and the spring game. But as we say, Mike Craven is traveling in his uh, Ford Focus. He's all over the Lone Star State, the great state. Uh, was down in Houston last week, uh, in-depth behind the scenes with the Rice Owls program, uh, the Houston Cougars, and right now up in the Metroplex. He's uh, visited TCU today, and yesterday he'll be down in Waco tomorrow. Uh, so really, and this is important stuff for the Eyes on Texas multicast, you know, it's not just Texas, but who they're playing, uh, and it's an interesting conversation. I know in the 2023 schedule, the Longhorns only play two of their 12 games outside of the great state, so outside of Texas. They play at Alabama and they play at Iowa State. Every other game is in the state of Texas, uh, either at home or at a place like Houston or Waco or Texas or uh, you know TCU. Uh, of course, the Oklahoma game is in Dallas, and we'll talk some Sooners football coming up as well on future episodes. But let's talk about the teams you, you talk to. you and, and give me behind the scenes, Mike, when you go in – to meet with these coaches and teams, what is your normal game plan? How do you attack this, uh, whether you're at Rice or SMU or, or, or TCU or Houston? Now, some teams are easier to get access in uh, than others. I'll, I'll allow you all to kind of guess. I'm sure you could uh, which ones are tougher th- than the other 10. Uh, but I tend to go to a spring practice. They let me kind of behind the window. Let, let me watch the spring practice because I don't get to go to all of them just because I'm covering 13 different teams. You just can't get to a bunch of a bunch of openings. So like today I went to North Texas. I watched practice from 9 to 11. I met with a couple players, met with a couple coordinators, met with the head coach for about 20, 30 minutes. It's kind of like what Phil still does for his you know magazine. You just go uh, talk about a few overriding topics at the beginning. You know, Maybe talk about a few college football general stuff at the beginning and then just position by position. What do you got at quarterback? What do you got at running back? What do you like at wide receiver? What concerns you at offensive line? So you just kind of go through position by position with the head coach um, and get some stuff from the players, get some stuff from the coordinators, and then uh, try to decipher all of that into about 2,000 words and then put it in the magazine, and that comes out in June or July. There you go. Got to compile the info. And I will tell you, when we wrap up our spring practice coverage next week on Episode 6, Starting with episode seven and beyond, we're going to try to set up uh, Zoom interviews and interviews with all the coaches that we can uh, on the Longhorn schedule, especially the ones in the state of Texas that you cover, Mike, to be able to get you know live interview conversations and thoughts about how how, the, how their spring practice went, how they're feeling headed into the offseason, because they are teams the Longhorns will face here in the 2023 season. Let's start with the first team on the schedule. That's the Rice Owls. Uh, they've got a very familiar name and face at quarterback now, uh, JT Daniels, who's kind of the child poster child for the for the transfer portal i think he's at his fourth different school now he will be playing for the rice owls what'd you learn about rice and uh, what they're all about i mean they're going to be better they won five games last year they won four games the year before so under mike bloomgren they're building baby steps you know they need to get to six seven wins it's a big year for mike bloomgren they haven't had a winning season yet uh, so he needs to have one to stick around they're in a new conference in the american uh, so the talent level is raised uh, obviously texas just shows up and, and plays like texas and, and it shouldn't be much of a competition but uh, their biggest problem has been quarterback. Rice has started more quarterbacks since 2018 than any other program in FBS because they've had so many injuries and, and uh, inconsistencies there. Uh, they threw an absurd amount of interceptions last year. They threw four interceptions in like four games or something crazy uh, like that. So if JT, Jan- if JT Daniels can show up uh, and, and provide a little bit consistency to that, to that position, they're going to be better. Uh, Luke McCaffrey at, at wide receiver is going to be good. That's uh, you know McCaffrey's little brother. Uh, there at Rice, um, uh, his former quarterback. Sean Taylor's little brother also plays safety uh, for Rice, so they got a couple famous last names back there. But uh, a program that's improving, obviously not enough to compete with the te- with Texas, but they do feel like they're going to be as good as they've been in, in about five to ten years. Yeah, uh, JT Daniels, well, you maybe have to do a full – 
you know, expose piece on him and his travels and how this has all worked out from I USC. Did. What's funny? What's funny is uh, so Mike Bloomgren, for those who don't know, was the offensive coordinator at Stanford during like the Harbaugh years, right in the early uh, David Shaw time, uh, and he recruited JT Daniels. He says at like twelve years old, right? Like he was one of the <laughs> first guys to see JT Daniels because he was a five star out in California. So they've known each other for about ten years, and, and Bloomgren joked that he's offered him a scholarship, you know, five different years because he keeps an- entering the transfer portal. Uh, Rice apparently, you know, finally got got the nod. So we'll see what he's able to do at, at that level. Oh, interesting. Four, four spots. He was USC as a five-star kid. Texas actually saw him here as a freshman at USC. Um, That's right. In the Tom Herman days. Then he went to Georgia. Then he went to West Virginia. Now he's at Rice. And Mike Bloomgren, Bloomgren finally got his guy. <laughs> and he'll be the quarterback, the, the first quarterback the Longhorns will see injury uh, providing no injury between now and then, hopefully. Uh, JT Daniels will be the first quarterback the Longhorns face. Obviously, the second game is Alabama. Uh, we'll preview the, the Crimson Tide. They've got a lot to replace. But uh, on your tour, you also visited the University of Houston, which is an early game for the Longhorns down in Houston. They're going to play at the, the new stadium there, 40,000, 50,000 seats on UT, UH campus. Dana Holgerson is the head coach. Uh, might be in a little bit of a, of a hot water situation for him right now, kind of a show it. Uh, he's got Tillman Fertitta owner of the Houston Rockets, the billionaire who, you know, he's helped invest. He's kind of the the, uh, the T. Boone Pickens of the U of H program as far as money goes, and he's expecting more than uh, maybe they got last year. They're moving into the Big 12, which is a huge step. They've been begging as a fan base to join this conference for a long, long time. Uh, Clayton Toon, their quarterback, has moved on. What would you learn about the Cougs? It's a big year for Holgerson. You know, he was he was hired to put Houston in this position. I mean, he left left West Virginia Big 12 school and everybody, you know, was like, oh, why would you go from the from the Big 12 to the American? Well, it's because he knew Houston was going to do this, right? Like this was this was on tap. This was going to happen. Uh, him and Tillman are, are really good friends. Holgerson's a big Houston guy that dates back to like the tech le- le- uh, leech years uh, when he was a, an assistant out there. Houston was his recruiting ground. So this is the job that he's wanted. Uh, but they're going to have a new quarterback. They lose Tank Dell at wide receiver as well. Um, some really big pieces on the defensive side. And so uh, I'm not sure that roster uh, is ready to compete weekly in the Big 12. That game against Texas is going to be a huge one. That's their Super Bowl. They get that on campus. It's not going to be at the NRG. That they want that on campus. They want to sell that out. Uh, but they have a lot of questions. They need some offensive line help. Uh, they're going to look into the portal over the summer, and they have a lot of guys that they're going to count on that just aren't on campus yet. So a lot of question marks for the Cougars. They got Donovan Smith, the Texas Tech transfer quarterback, to take over for Clayton Toon. Alton McCaskill, uh, a really good running back as a true freshman who missed all of last year uh, with an ACL tear, uh, will be back. So maybe not the high-flying Houston Cougars attack we're used to with the Dana Holgerson team, uh, but they're going to have to play better defense, and they're going to have to figure out how to replace that production on offense. Or like you said, the seat is going to get warm for Dana Holgerson. This is a fan base that's waited 20-plus years to get a seat back at the big boy table in college football. They don't want to just be at the table. They want to eat. And so uh, they're going to ask Holgerson to do that. When Apple White got fired from Houston, the AD famously said eight wins isn't good enough at Houston. Well, he hasn't. He's only done better than eight wins one time in four years. And so he's going to have to show it. He's going to have to to get some wins there. If they go six and six, five and seven, don't make a bowl game. I would not be shocked if something happened behind the scenes at Houston. Well, and now that they're in the Big 12 and into a Power Five conference that seems like it's still growing, even with Texas and Oklahoma moving, 
that would be a job that would be desirous of a top coach, I would think, uh, to coach the Houston Cougars in that city, in that recruiting base, with someone like Tillman Fertitta who will help fund the program, as they say. So, yeah, I could see that Dana Holgerson being in kind of a kind of a win-now situation for him, uh, without a doubt. Texas plays at Houston October the 21st. That is after the Oklahoma game. There's a bye week for Texas after OU on October 7th in Dallas. Then they go to Houston to play the, the first time against the Cougars in quite a while uh, for the Longhorns. Uh, also in November, November the 11th, the Longhorns will play at TCU. And TCU, of course, what a season in year one for Sonny Dykes, Max Duggan, uh, Heisman Trophy finalist. Uh, they, they play Georgia for the national championship game, beat Michigan in that thrilling semifinal game, one of the best games of all of last year. Actually lost the Big 12 championship game. People will forget it's odd that they played for the Natty, but didn't uh, beat K-State that day in Arlington to win the uh, the Big 12 championship, that fourth fourth down stop at the goal line in overtime, the difference in that game. But a great season and a great launching point for Sonny Dykes, who took over for Gary Patterson. Uh, what would you learn in Fort Worth? I mean, a lot of talent moving on to the NFL from Duggan, to Max Duggan to – uh, Quentin Johnston at wide receiver, Steve Avila at guard. Uh, gosh, really all their best players are going off to the national. Kendra Miller at running back. How do they replace that, and what's the expectation for Sonny Dykes in year two, Mike? It's wild. I mean, TCU literally loses its best player at every single position group. They lose their quarterback, their best running back, best wide receiver, best uh, offensive lineman, best defensive lineman, best linebacker, best secondary player. They, they, they have a lot to uh, replace there, uh, but – you know, if you take away Texas and Oklahoma, nobody's recruiting better right now than TCU. And that cupboard wasn't bare. Obviously, he was able to get um, to the national championship game. And Sonny Dykes has been transfer portal in before transfer portal in was cool. I mean, he got Nick Foles to Arizona, uh, Shane Bouchelle at SMU. He's always been a, a transfer portal guy before that was in vogue. We need to remember Chandler Morris won this job going into last year. He was the starting quarterback game one against Colorado. He got injured in the first half and the rest is history. They believe in him. If, if anybody listening remembers that that win over Baylor in 2021 when Baylor was really good, you know, Chandler Morris threw for 300 yards, ran for 100, counted for six touchdowns, looked like you know the heir apparent there in Fort Worth. So uh, confidence is pretty high at TCU. They're going to take a step back. I mean, you're 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 not going to go 12 and 0 again. You know, this is still this is still TCU. This isn't Georgia or Ohio State or, or Alabama. They're going to take a step back. It's just a matter of how big of a step back. If they can stay around eight wins, nine wins, and be in contention in November, I feel like that's a win for Sonny Dykes and a, and a statement of intent that that wasn't just a one-year thing. But if they do the Baylor, where you go from 12 wins to six and seven, then there's going to have conversations of, well, is that just Gary Patterson's roster? Was it kind of luck? Here comes Sonny Dykes again. And so it does feel like for a team that went 12-0 and 0 and won a Fiesta Bowl, uh, that there's a lot to prove in Fort Worth just to to make the fan base understand that like this isn't just a one-time deal. Yeah, they did hit the portal again. Got some significant kids from Alabama, as a matter of fact, coming into that portal. And, you know, they lose their offensive coordinator, Garrett Riley, who was the assistant you know, coordinator of the year, uh, the way he ran that offense and led Max Duggan to the Heisman Trophy as a backup quarterback when the season began. You mentioned Chandler Morris, the Oklahoma transfer. Well, Kendall Bryles is in, and obviously that raised some eyebrows, the Bryles name in the state of Texas. Uh, of course, they used to have a rivalry with Art Bryles and Baylor at TCU with Gary Patterson. Uh, what was your, you know, what you find on Kendall Bryles, his assimilation into the Sunny Dykes offense? it's so weird. Like, it's so weird having the Bryles in the TCU office. Like, that. I mean, that would have been like a crime. 
being called or something like that. Now Jared Stidham's doing workouts in Fort Worth. And so uh, that one's just, just an interesting deal. You know, when, when Garrett left for Clemson, and you're never going to fault a, uh, an offensive coordinator for leaving from TCU to Clemson. His next stop's going to be a, a power five job. So so good for Kendall for cashing in, or, or good for Garrett for cashing in on that. But you got to remember, Sonny Dykes is a Mike Leach dude. He's an air raid guy at heart. And so he wanted to go hire an air raid guy. And as close as you can get to that, and a, and a, and a guy who runs an offense similar um, to what he's doing is Art Bryles, who was on that, or Kendall Bryles, whose father, Art, was on that same te- uh, same staff at Texas Tech. So there was familiarity there, not only scheme, but just personal-wise. I, I, I think Sonny has a, a pretty good understanding of who Kendall is and what he's about, at least enough for him to hire him at TCU. And what's nice, or I mean, nice is maybe the wrong word, but but what's nice for Sonny and, and TCU is that market's not the same. That's a Dallas Cowboys. That's a professional market. You know, there's not going to be a whole lot of blowback. He was able to answer one or two questions, then move on. You know, it's not the same as AM. It's not the same as, as, as Texas in terms of just spotlight on the position. Um, so I don't think that turns into to much of a talking point to me about TCU. It's just how do you replace that much talent and be as good when you don't recruit at the level of Alabama, Ohio State, you know, even Oklahoma? Yeah. Stuff like that. Well, and that was a conversation we had quite a bit last year when, when TC was making their run. They were the most experienced and veteran team in the Big 12 when the season began. They had a team that averaged 22 and a half, 23 years old. And uh, Sonny Dykes took a lot of advantage of that. Got a lot of guys who had played a lot of football. You know, we knew, you know Texas had players that average age was you know, 19 and a half. Uh, so a much younger team versus an older team. We saw that in college basketball show up big time in March Madness. You know, older teams are going to win. They're just, they're more. You know, they're more veteran players. They You can't coach experience. TCU had a ton of it last year, even with a new head coach. And those coaches and Garrett Riley, they just did a great job of maximizing that talent. That's why you kind of think Sark with a team now that, you know, could be in you know, early 20s and more experience and more depth, plus bringing in portal players, uh, could, could surpass TCU and probably should because they're going to lose a ton. Without a doubt. So there's Mike Craven, Dave Campbell's Texas football thoughts on three spots he's traveled to in the last week, Houston and uh, Rice, and of course, TCU. You'll be in Waco this week, Thursday. You'll be down there in Baylor to see the Bears and Dave Aranda. Any pre-thoughts on what you're walking into there as far as the story and uh, what you're going to find out? Baylor's one of the more fascinating teams in the state to me because think of the three years they've had under Dave Aranda. From 2-7 and seven to 12-2, and two, to six and seven. Yeah. Who is Baylor? Is Baylor more that that 12-win team uh, where Dave Aranda's personality is a little quirky and fun and he's just a different kind of philosopher coach? Uh, or is that program a little bit stale and one that's fi- falling behind with recruiting in terms of TCU and Tech? And what are they going to do at quarterback? And so uh, he replaces defensive coordinator. He's a defensive guy at heart. What is that going to look like? When they were really good, they did not allow more than 30 points. Last year, they did it six times. And so uh, they're going to have to get better defensively, and then they're going to have to figure out quarterback positions. But uh, to me, Baylor, along with A&M, feels like the team that if you – there's a biggest the, the biggest variant of differences in results, right? Like if you told me Baylor was 10-2 and two, and you told me Baylor was 4-8, and eight, I don't know how shocked I would be at either one of them. They could fall anywhere in that gambit. Some of that's just about how the Big 12 is a coin toss league, but – some of it's just, I don't know who Baylor is under Dave Aranda. I think we're still trying to figure that out. Well said. Well said. Yeah, three odd years. A terrible year one. Fixed the offense in year two with Jeff Grimes and that that pow- that spread power run game that they ran and uh, outside zone. And then that kind of got figured out last year, and their quarterback didn't step forward. Blake Shapin like they had thought. And as you said, the defense not nearly as good with – Guys like uh, Jalen Petrie and uh, 
Terrell Bernard off to the National Football League, who made all their plays. Uh, yeah, you can't. This is what we're going to see with TCU. It's hard to replace that many NFL players in one offseason and one cycle. Sonny Dice is going to try to do it. Dave Aranda struggled with it last year, without a doubt. That's going to wrap up our third quarter. Appreciate Mike Craven. and look forward to reading those stories when they hit Dave Campbell's Texas football. Uh, good stuff there on opponents for the Longhorns this year. That's going to be a big part of our multicast as we move towards the football season. Mike's keen uh, knowledge of these other programs, the coaches, uh, conversations with them. Looking forward to those in coming episodes of the Eyes on Texas multicast. All right, let's hit our fourth quarter. Uh, I do want to once again thank our friend uh, Carlos Carrion, the Texas Mortgage Guy, is our first multicast underwriting partner. Find him at carlos at texasmortgageguy.com as we drop into our fourth quarter. And that uh, is pretty simple. There's a recruiting conversation. But let's actually get a spring game update. If you're planning to go to the spring game, I'll be there. Uh, the Horn, uh, the flagship radio station for the Longhorns, which, where I work and do the morning show with Bucky Godbolt every morning. We'll be there live on Bevo Boulevard doing our pregame show, getting you ready for it. Craig Way, the voice of the Longhorns, will have the call of the game at 1 o'clock uh, with the broadcast crew. We're going to treat it just like a game day. And I know the university is, too. Uh, they're going full out with Bevo Boulevard and uh, all the fun. There will be an autograph session. Uh, let's hear Sark, uh, Steve Sarkeesian from today uh, talking about it started with the Friday scrimmage because uh, we're recording this show a few days after they scrimmaged on Friday, Good Friday last week, and then this was the first availability here today. But he addressed the Friday scrimmage and then talked about and previewed what could be coming on Saturday in the orange-white scrimmage that uh, we'll see at DKR. I thought that uh, it was fast. Uh, I thought it was physical. I thought we got a lot of really good situational work done. Um, I thought it was competitive. Uh, so on that note, that, that, that was a real positive. Obviously today we were kind of, as I like to say to the guys back in the lab, we were working on some very specific things uh, today as we're kind of closing out spring ball and we're trying to maximize these last couple of practices today uh, and then Thursday. And then obviously Saturday we've got the, we've got the orange and white spring game, uh, which we're really excited about. Uh, we're going to be able to play it as a game. Um, so it should give everybody, the fans, uh, everybody a, a real sense of, being able to keep score and what's going on. I know we've got a lot of young players um, that it's going to be good for them to play uh, in front of a crowd. Uh, so we're looking forward to a great crowd. It should be a beautiful day and uh, a really good environment. Uh, doing an autograph signing at 9 a.m. Uh, Saturday morning on Bevo Boulevard. And then we'll kick the ball off at 1 o'clock um, for the spring game. So looking forward to that. All right, there you go. There is uh, the plan. And uh, for the first time in a while, we've talked about it a lot on these episodes, Mike, uh, be able to play a game. They're two and three deep, but most every position. Uh, so not just a game, but maybe a pretty competitive game uh, where Sark went on to say after you know that comment that he was asked how you're going to pick the teams. And he said, well, I'll be the general manager. I'm the team owner. I'll make the teams. So he's going to create the, the competition that he wants in this. I know during the scrimmages during camp, Mike, they've done – a lot of one versus two, but then when they get into the red zone and two-minute drill, they go good on good. They go one-on-one, -on -one, uh, best offense versus best defense, and those will be, I think, the highlight moments of what we're going to see on Saturday. It's interesting. Like Most coaches hate spring games uh, because like they're just glorified practices and, and your offense looks real good. Then you got four months of people writing about how bad your defense is going to be. If your offense looks bad, people are going to write for four months how bad your offense is going to be. Uh, injuries, obviously, are, are a big deal. It becomes more of a recruiting cycle. Uh, than it is, you know, for a scrimmage. But Texas may be the outlier there with the depth that they have and the talent that they have between the ones and twos. There's a lot of competition at a lot of spots. So this is a big day uh, for a lot of people and playing at DKR in front of that many people. Uh, it is nice to kind of go through a, a pregame warm up for the first time and kind of get that 
under your belt before the first game of the season. So uh, all positive there for Texas. I still think that they need to spice these spring games up somehow, make them more WWE-ish, you know, let a let an offensive guy be a captain, a defensive guy be a captain, maybe let some uh, donors call plays, you know, make it an NIL thing where they're selling off, you know, play calling drives and stuff like that. Make this thing interesting. Maybe that's the WWE fan in me. Uh, but these things kind of get stale. They kind of get weird. I know people are talking about the scrimmage idea of like what it would look like if if people uh, if coaches and, and players and, and teams were allowed to scrimmage against other teams. I think that could be uh, interesting down the road. But I don't know about you, but I try not to take too much from these spring games because they're just a practice, one out of fifteen, and it's four months away from from anything matter. I'll be more paid attention and locked in on this one than I've seen in previous years. But you're right. I mean, it's uh, I like to watch individual players line play. Uh, how does you know Savion Red look as a running back when he gets his opportunities? How does um, you know how's Isaiah Nayer looking for his injury? What about Quinn yeah. Ewers and more confident in the pocket? Everybody's going to be eyes on Arch Manning, but you're right, it's a glorified practice. You get real excited to see it, and then it's like, eh, it is just a practice. Uh, but I think we'll be able to see a little bit more uh, in individual players and what they can be. Uh, speaking of that, one more Griff, let's do a, 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 the final cut, uh, start cut of the night here on the Eyes on Texas uh, multicast. What you just said, I mean, how do you judge a spring game if your offense plays great, your defense stinks? If your defense plays great, offense is a problem. Problem here with Sark. He answered that question uh, uh, earlier today. You know, the, what I look for is a clean game. I, I try to look for, you know, the, the mental errors. We have guys doing the wrong thing, guys lining up incorrectly. Uh, I look for physicality, you know, who can play well at the point of attack, whether it's inside the box or on the perimeter. I look for playmaking ability. Um, uh, th- those are the types of things I look for because ultimately, uh, if both sides play really well, it should be pretty evenly matched, and it should be a hard-fought, you know, offense and/or defense, and whichever side of the ball is going. Um, the problem comes when the big plays occur, whether it's a big touchdown or a turnover or a sack. Generally, there's an error somewhere, and so hopefully we can reduce the number of errors that occur in the game. That, that's really what I'm looking for. All right, pretty simple. Clean game, uh, competitive, uh, both sides making some plays. You know that's going to happen in a game. And obviously the number one factor of any spring game is to avoid injury. Uh, my, my co-host yeah. on the morning show here in Austin, Mike Bucky Godball, talks about the spring game in which uh, Priest Holmes, Priest Holmes, Hurt his knee, uh, coming off an incredible Sun Bowl performance, and Longhorn fans still remember that. Uh, don't want any of that because the, the depth does seem to be there. They have not suffered uh, a significant injury just yet, and that's a good thing. Hopefully, they can get out of their Thursday practice and then the spring game uh, relatively injury free, and that would be the number one thing. Real quick, uh, as we wrap up our fourth quarter and this ep- this week's episode, uh, there is some scouting and, and recruiting news, I should say, the transfer portal. The Longhorns uh, at the game on Saturday, Minnesota defensive tackle Trill Carter uh, is expected to be at the game. Uh, he is transferring. He's in the portal. He's from Minnesota, the Gophers, uh, P.J. Fleck in that program. Uh, he was a highly recruited player, three-and-a-half, four-star player. He's out of Lee- Leeburg, Georgia. Uh, he's, you know, six-foot. Two, 300 pounds. Uh, so Longhorn's going to have him. There's a lot of teams showing interest in him. So, But the fact that he'll be here for the spring game is one to watch. Trill Carter, T-R-I-L-L. Also, there's they've shown interest, according to some reports, in Florida State edge rusher Derek McClendon uh, as a guy that they could look for. And this is, uh, you know, to wrap up the spring, we'll do a lot of this next week, Mike, after we see the spring game. You know, the coaches and, and Sark will meet with every player. 
if you're behind on the depth chart, you're down at the three and four spots in some spots. You may be looking to go somewhere else where you can play uh, this year. Uh, and the Longhorns will probably be looking at you know some rosters to see where they think they need. Uh, edge rusher is a name. Defensive tackle sounds like a name. Tight end might be a spot that the Longhorns look at. Uh, that's just natural, and that's the, the way of college football right now. Yeah, defensive line, you can never have enough bodies. You know, the only only thing that can be a limit there is just how many scholarships you have open. You can never have too many big bodies. You can never have enough guys coming off the edge. And uh, to me, the spring spring trainings become like NFL OTAs, whereas it's as much about uh, developing your players as figuring out where your holes are. You know, the portal officially opens on April 15th. I'd imagine, like you said, they talk to every single player, kind of see where they're standing and if they're going to jump into the portal. But I'd imagine these last 14, 15 practices leading into the spring game are as much about, okay, where do we need to go address some needs in the portal and use it almost as free agency uh, to cover up a few spots? Because recruiting in the high school ranks is always going to be number one at a place like Texas. Uh, But there's always going to be two or three spots, at least just depth-wise, where it's like, man, we could use another body there. Uh, If you're able to bring in quality transfers just to sure up depth, to me, that's the biggest advantage of the transfer portal era for a program like Texas is the ability not to just bring in starters, uh, but to bring in quality depth and quality backups and guys who have started other places and put them as maybe the third or fourth defensive tackle, and now all of a sudden you have a real rotation. There. Yeah, that's uh, always well said, and that's the new new age. And again, I do think the Longhorns, when you're when you're healthy as a program now in this day and age of college football, I think attrition off your own roster is to be expected because guys realize, oh man, that five star linebacker that came in, I might not be playing much this year. Uh, I think I could play at a different place or a different level, uh, and they'll naturally kind of move on, and then you can add your own pieces. I wouldn't be surprised, Mike, to maybe look. They look at running back just based on what we've heard this spring uh, with C.J. Baxter, with Savion Red moving from receiver. You know, Jonathan Brooks has been you know wearing the bubble wrap this this camp. We'll get to see him a little bit on Saturday. I have to imagine. Uh, you know, Keelan Robinson is still there. Jaden Blue, but you've gone through that. That you know, Jaden Blue and Keelan Robinson are kind of edge players. They're not really between the tackles runners. Jonathan Brooks would be the only experienced player that can uh, hump it up in there as a as a every down back. It feels like, and then there's C.J. Baxter, the true freshman. You wonder if they could, because again, we've seen you know you suffer a a rash of injuries at one position. It can derail a stretch of your season. Uh, you wonder if the Longhorns look at a running back uh, in the transfer portal as well. Just for depth purposes, like you just talked about, it will be interesting. And that certainly will be a big conversation on Episode 7 of our Eyes on Texas Multicast, which is coming up uh, Episode 6, I'm sorry, Episode 6 next week. We'll recap fully the spring game. We'll be there watching it and uh, certainly talking about it. We'll have all the sound from Sark and players after the game, and we'll have that for you as part of Episode 6 coming up next week, Mike. So, hey, safe travels to you, my friend. Uh, great stuff on your travels to Houston and the Metroplex. Uh, good conversation this, this evening, and uh, look forward to doing this again next week uh, and recapping the spring game. Absolutely. Can't wait. All right, buddy. That's going to do it. That has been the, another edition of the Eyes on Texas Multicast. Uh, it is the uh, multicast that has its eyes on Texas football, a product of the Republic of Football and Dave Campbell's Texas Football Podcast Network, also recorded live right here in Austin, Texas, at the Austin Radio Network headquarters overlooking the capital city. And we do it each and every week. And come the football season, we'll do twice a week from the studio and then one that we'll do on Zoom ahead of each game to really take you a deep dive into the Longhorn football season. I'm Aaron Hogan. He's Mike Craven. Thanks again to our first partner, our underwriter. Uh, he is our good friend, Carlos Carrion, the Texas mortgage guy. Find him at thetexasmortgageguy.com or email Carlos at carlos at thetexasmortgageguy.com. Have a great week, everybody. We'll talk next week on Episode 6 of the Eyes on Texas podcast.